Good day, everyone, and welcome to my podcast entitled The Hot Seat Challenge. Are you bored of the same old politically correct telecom interview questions? Do you want to get the real story behind the telecom claptrap? If so, this show is for you. Join me as I grill today's victim, who is brave and bold enough to take the hot seat challenge. So during the next 15 to 20 minutes, I will ask some of the questions around telecom fraud that you've never dared to ask to one of the wholesale, of the wholesale industry's guru, the one and only Steve Keefe, CTO of Hot Telecom. Steve, welcome to the hot seat. Yes, good afternoon, Isabel. You welcome. You, you're well seated in your seat. Yes, and I've got my uh, summer clothes on already. It's a lovely day here in West Virginia. Good to know, Steve. So, don't try to don't try to sidetrack me from my questions. Nope. You won't run away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with the first one. Fraud prevention is on everyone's mind at the moment. At least it sounds like it is. With all the carriers, you know, talking more and more about how they can prevent both voice and messaging fraud for themselves and their customers. And this week we saw an intriguing news and uh, a news piece of news uh, talking about a new type of fraud on the messaging side called SMS hijack. What is this all about? Should carriers and more importantly ourselves as messaging users be worried about this new fraud? Yes, it's an intriguing um, issue. I, I saw the articles about it earlier in the week and thought I ought to dig further into how it was working. It turned out not to be a fraud um, in the sense of, of fraud in the wild that, that was being used um, for real. It was more of a test of, of systems that was being t- uh, carried out. And um, in effect, what it seemed to rely on was something actually that, that I was involved in creating maybe 10 years ago. And it was all around the issue of global number portability. How do you handle and properly handle messages and, and calls, voice calls in particular, to carriers all around the world when number portability is moving those numbers in the distant country. And the idea was to build a registry of all of the global numbers and assign them to the operator that currently was handling them. So in effect, it was a global registry um, of numbers in different countries. Some of those that information comes from national databases some comes from the the service providers themselves and the idea was you could query this database and then route the call appropriately to the correct operator and it, it appears that that process um, which was developed by NetNumber has continued to be used to solve shorter term problems of well how does a voice over ip service provider that can't regulatorily um, obtain a number say in the united states how do they get traffic uh, routed to their customers and the same process can be used a sort of lookup um, of the number determine the id of the uh, service provider and route the call to them and it was that process um, that was basically being followed in in this case that companies have been established to manage the SMS, the texting um, ability of corporations, so that instead of the corporation managing it on on their own, a company manages it on their behalf. So if a text comes in, they respond to it, they send out marketing texts and so on, on behalf of the, the corporation. And where the fraud then um, sort of came into being is that one of those small companies seemed to have very loose and lax Uh, controls over who could assign a number, who could say, this is my number, I want it sent into your servers so that I can read the text and so on. 
they simply wanted a signed piece of paper, um, which is a very, very lax way of, of handling that. So that was the root of the problem. It wasn't necessarily that the idea behind these systems were, was wrong. It was this small company simply had no controls in place. Um, and I, I believe that that particular fraud mechanism has now been stopped by both NetNumber and other companies tightening procedures. And I think the U.S. mobile operators have also made it much more difficult to um, handle that from mobile numbers that they control. So so I, I don't think it's a fraud that we should be worried about. Um, but where it then took me, and I know this is a, maybe the subject of another discussion in the future, was the whole problem of omni-channel marketing. And omni-channel marketing is where a corporation has many different ways that a customer can contact them. They can phone them, they can send texts, they can use WhatsApp, they can use Twitter, they can use a website. They can, you know, there are endless mechanisms to contact the, the corporation. But each of those is separate. And so in the corporation's mind, if a customer phones them one day and then sends a text the next day, there's nothing that necessarily links that communication together. And the corporation would like to do that. They would like to have one stream of consciousness um, between them and, and the customer. And this mechanism of um, enabling someone else to handle texts on your behalf or to handle voice calls on your behalf, which seem to be the root of this, this fraud, does seem to be a mechanism that could be used to handle the omni-channel omni challenge. It's a very difficult set of words to say. Um, and, and so I think out of a problem or out of the demonstration of a problem has potentially, you know, come an idea for how some of these capabilities could handle other questions that the industry is grappling with. And I think it's nice to see maybe for a change, something good will come out of something that initially started as a bad or a negative thing. And I agree with you. Omnichannel is super interesting, you know, how to, to put the customer truly at the center of their experience and to have a personalized experience throughout uh, in real time almost. And I remember when we talked about it, we, we wrote an interesting article that will be published soon for Telefonica. We wrote in, in partnership with Telefonica, looking into that opportunity for carriers, what role could they play really to be at the center of making a, a true customer experience 360 degree in real time. So I, I agree with you. It should be maybe the topic of our next podcast, but Let's stay on the topic. Today, we're here to talk about fraud prevention. Uh, and as I said, initially, uh, the carriers are talking more and more about fraud prevention, how they can instill it in their organization for themselves and for their customers. But sometimes we wonder, you know, is it more talk than action? Uh, are they using that as a marketing tool to promote the fact that they're doing things, but really in real life, it's not as effective or it's not as acted upon as, as, as it should. So... You're the fraud prevention guru. If you, there was one thing that carriers that are really serious about preventing fraud should do to either stop it or at least minimize it, what should it be? Okay, interesting question. Um, because telecom fraud and international fraud in particular is a very attractive place to be for um, many criminals because there's a lot of cash floating around, hundreds, millions of dollars um, potentially uh, between different operators. And you've got two groups of clever people. You've the people in the industry that know how it works and how the, the systems, the signaling systems work. And you've got equally clever people 
people that are looking for holes in that mechanism, um, both technical holes and procedural holes, so that they can generate some quick cash, um, get that cash and, and run away with it. In effect, I, I've I think the I think most of the telecom industry is actually trying to um, keep a lid on this. You know, even though they may not themselves be the people that have been defrauded, that's often the retail service provider or the enterprise with the PBX that's broken into. Um, but the international carriers are in the middle of passing the money. Um, around passing the money from, in effect, the, the persons that's been frauded to the group that's going to collect the cash at the end of the day. And, and it struck me that one of the biggest issues in, in the world of fraud is the international revenue share fraud. And that's where in many countries around the world, there are premium rated telephone numbers. Maybe they're used for horoscopes. People used to say, well, of course, people were willing to pay for horoscopes. Um, but many of them are just set up to make money. That There's not necessarily any social good that comes out of it. Um, and, and it sort of struck me that you obviously can't go to every country in the world and say you can't have these premium numbers. They don't provide any useful service to anyone. But you could say, of course, premium numbers can run in your country. That's up to you and your regulator and government and all the rest of it. If people in your country want to call them, then, you know, go ahead, build some services on those. What you could question is whether the international um, networks need to play a part in that. Is there truly a demand from the U.S. for recorded information services in uh, you know, Poland or, you know, just to pick some country at random. Probably not. You know, I, I think the valid uses of, of Polish premium services in the U.S. is pretty small. And so you could potentially see the international carriers getting together and saying, from now on, we're no longer going to carry these numbers. I'm not sure who regulates them to carry the numbers. I don't believe anyone does, to the best of my knowledge. A a large group of, of the operators could say, we're not going to carry these numbers any longer. And who would complain? You know, which, which group of customers would say, you know, our service, would, would I go along to Comcast and say, I can't phone this premium number in Poland anymore? Very, very unlikely. And, and that would actually put the stock to the vast majority of the the premium rate um, fraud at the drop of a hat. Um, so, you know, maybe that's something, it's not a technical solution, it's just uh, we as a group are not going to carry this traffic any longer. So, Steve, you've been around the block a few times, huh? you've done it all, you've seen it all. If you could change one thing in the industry, what would it be? Yes, that's an even harder question than the previous one because it it's an industry that has evolved constantly. It, you know, it's, it's it's not an industry that you could say um, you know it's just set in its ways because I you know I think it's changed as much as any any industry that you could point to, both technically from the old TDM days through voice over IP and so on, as well as organisationally and and culturally and so on. So so I think it has already. Um, you know, change quite a lot. In terms of, let me think, what what could it change now? Um, I think that discussion on fraud is is one that the industry could well worth, you know, well worth discussing. And 
you know, I wish I'd thought of it, you know, quite a, a number of years ago. I think the the one thing that I think could have made a big difference in the industry, um, maybe if it had been implemented differently or managed differently, was the whole trading idea behind Arbinet. You know, I was a CTO for an, a number of years there. And I think the concept of what was trying to be achieved there was was a very efficient marketplace. Now, maybe they were trying to get too much money. Maybe it wasn't done very well. You know, all sorts of reasons why that didn't uh, work. But that's, I think, something that could well be looked at in the industry now. Um, and potentially it's time to do that because the industry has become very commodified commoditized um, and maybe a very efficient trading mechanism is what the industry needs uh, right now. So Steve, let's finish on a high. Let's see if you can remain standing after this little challenge, which I like to call the quick or the dead. I will tell you one word and tell me the first word that comes to your mind. Ready? Okay. Okay. Fraud prevention. <laughs> Money. <laughs> Fake traffic. One word, one word. Oh, um, revenue, profit. Shaken and stirred. Tricky. Wholesale. <laughs> um, cheap and nasty. Oh, that's three words. <laughs> and finally, last but not least, hot. Telecom. So, Steve, that's it. You're standing. You haven't, you've survived the hot seat challenge. It wasn't too painful. It was excellent. Thank you. You have been a really good guest and I hope we can do this again. I mean, we have many, many, many topics we could talk about uh, in the next uh, few months. And I hope you will accept if I invite you again. Uh, and uh, let's see where this takes us. Okay. That's good to see you again. So everyone, thank you for listening. Stay cool, be hot. And until the next Hot Sheet Challenge. Oh.